Hello, and welcome to Transperfect Lifestyle Talks. I'm Mark Wade. Today, I'm delighted to talk to Paul Donahue, who's Senior Director of Product for ECOA and COA and the scientific support for Metadata. Paul, welcome to Transperfect Lifestyle Talks. Thank you kindly, Mark. Delighted to be here. Thanks for joining us. Can we jump right in? Because the challenges of ECOA and DCT, Decentralized Clinical Trials, that's the watchword of the day. The challenges that you and I see today in adopting those studies. Yeah, so it certainly is the, the watchword or, or dare you say buzz phrase of the day. Any conference uh, you've been at in the last year or so has many panels on DCT. And I do think there's kind of quite a bit of confusion that's maybe driving reluctance to really embrace so-called decentralized trials. I think people view it initially as an all or nothing thing that, you know, suddenly you're just going to have no site visits. Patients are going to be left on their own at home. We're only going to interact with them through SMS messages, for example. And that's very much not what DCTs are in reality. DCTs are just a way of adjusting the study design so that more of the study activities can be done in a place that's convenient for the patient, whether that's their own home, local clinic. But it's a a way of shifting and reducing some of that burden of patients having to come in for site visits. And depending on the study you're running, that can be a very small aspect of the trial, or you can decentralize large amounts of the trial. And so I really think we're moving towards a world of recognizing that DCTs are just a flavor of clinical trial. And we'll probably just go back to talking about clinical trials that have these decentralized aspects to them in the future. You actually touched on two points. I want to unpack both of those because I'm going to talk about modalities because you're talking about like DCT as one aspect. And I love that idea, by the way. That's one one arm of a, a study and it should be seen that way. So can we talk about capturing data on multiple modalities? I don't know if we're using, overusing that word, but multiple routes. Yeah. Can we talk about that for a moment because I think there's some, you're, you're doing some work on that, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. So typically, or at least traditionally, I should say, we've been capturing data from patients using a provision device. We give them a smartphone, they take it home, they carry it around with them beside their everyday phone. Um, and that's what we've been doing for, for years. We're starting to see more and more uptake of so-called BYOD, bring your own device, patients installing an app on their own device, submitting data that way. We're also seeing uh, the rise of web-based data capture. So patients logging into a browser and submitting data there. But there's been a lot of reluctance within the industry, I think, to kind of embrace these different modalities. And there's some kind of handovers from historical regulatory aspects around concerns of patients responding differently on these different modes. I think, thankfully, we now have plenty of evidence showing patients don't answer inconsistently. They, they answer the same across multiple different modes of data capture. We actually have a, an updated ISPOR task force paper coming in the next few months that yep. hopefully uh, puts this, this question to, to rest. But really, I'm hoping that then allows us to introduce um, more flexibility in how we're thinking about this study design, allowing patients maybe to decide where they want to submit the data, where is most convenient for them to submit the data. And that, that dovetails nicely into my next point that you actually brought up was the patient burden. That's table stakes. Whether it's paper or electronic, there's, there's going to be burden. And it's the level of burden that we're, we're putting on patients that I think we definitely we need to talk about. If I digress for a second, if we look at protocols today, we are putting in many, many instruments to try and get key data points. One of my previous podcasts, we talk, I talked to an SME around instruments that are particularly like fine-tuned for particular oncology studies. So right. rather than the scattergun, we have rifles. So can we talk about like patient burden and the, the, the burden that DCT puts on patients? 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on. I think we have to start any of these conversations with a recognition that no matter how we're structuring the clinical trial, just engaging with a study in the first place is putting burden on the patient. So we have to start from there. We, we can't be naive and think we're suddenly going to have a zero burden study. I do think one of the risks of technology is that people will use technological solutions just for the sake of using them and assume that that removes all burden. And it absolutely does not. Mm-hmm. Obviously, technology can add significant burden to anyone who's struggled to get their laptop working or remember what their passwords were for the various websites that are out there. Um, so I, we can't assume that technology is just going to simplify the patient experience, but well-designed technology can simplify how a patient is engaging with their study. And that's very much kind of how I envision the use of technology within trials. We're never going to remove burden completely, but what we can do is improve their experience of engaging with that study and completing the various tasks that they are being asked to complete within the context of the trial and just make it a more seamless way of providing data typically. And we, when we talk about patient burden, I mean, I'm, I'm always talking about patient burden, but they're actually a huge burden on sites as well. Yeah. There's so many different technologies that they need to employ. I mean, by the time a, a kit arrives, they need to be put into an RTMS system. And then the, there's an ECOA element of that. And then there's EDC. And so that there's, there's all these different disparate type of uh, uh, technologies that the, the sites are overwhelmed sometimes. I get up from sites a lot. They're overwhelmed. So genuinely, what's, what's the solution? I think, you know, one of the other buzz phrases we as an industry have been talking about for the last, what, five, 10 years, patient centricity. Absolutely right. We need to be patient centric. We should continue to be so. I would just hope we're a bit more kind of meaningful patient centric. But I think we also need to start thinking about site centricity. I think one of the risks of this rise of technology and trials is that we're outsourcing the help desk basically to the site themselves. And these sites are typically completely overwhelmed and they have too much day-to-day work, never mind the additional work that's being piled on them by participating in trials. And if we're not providing them the training they need to use these systems, as well as making sure the systems just work well and are intuitive, I think it's a huge burden that we're placing on sites that really risks actually the success of the trial because we consistently see if the sites are against the technology, that's going to again translate it onto the patients because they're not going to want to train the patients. I get a lot from sites where they're saying there's so many different in a previous life, I got involved with sites deeply. And what they, 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 the challenge they had is that there were so many different desperate technologies that they have to remember the, the idiosyncrasies of each of those platforms and stuff. And, and it becomes a huge burden. Nature of the beast, what happens? Things get deprioritized. When they're trying to do their day-to-day job of just helping patients and making them well, of course our clinical trials are going to, going to fall, fall down their list of what they're focusing on. So I think there's a few different responses to that. I do think... You know, we, we need to spend time thinking about that side experience. And again, I want to reiterate the patient experience 100% they're our ultimate end users. Yeah, we spend a lot of time thinking about that and getting that right. But the site experience, they're also one of our end users and making sure that is a user friendly experience for them. Yeah. And I think one of the things we saw, you know, off the back of the, the pandemic, where we very quickly, I think we're rolling out a, a number of technologies uh, in the middle of clinical trials often in response to patients not being able to come in for site visits and, and might have a whole separate conversation around the, the impact of that. But I think one of the things we saw was that kind of all these disparate technologies being 
dropped on sites was it was a response to a specific situation, but it also created its own challenges in regards to sites trying to manage all these these very unconnected systems. And so, you know, obviously metadata takes a very different approach of, of coming at it from kind of platform solution approach, where it's a single system that brings all the technologies you need within the trial. But there's pluses and minuses to what what do you mean by that then? So Metadata is a provider of a platform solution for the life sciences. So that basically means we provide a single software solution that you can run your entire clinical trial on from beginning to end. And that includes all of the site-based technology. I'm on the patient cloud team, which is our patient-facing technology. And then there's obviously an aspect for the data analytic and site and study management piece. So basically, we have a single platform and you can do everything you need the flip side of that is these point solutions. So we have companies out there who do separate aspects of the trial. Sponsors might work with a range of different companies for a single trial and then try and bring that all together um, to have a single trial experience. And again, pluses and minuses to both of those solutions. Sure. But I think what we saw within the pandemic and, and kind of continue to see that playing out as we're, we're taking a bit of uh, kind of taking stock as we come come out of the pandemic for certain definitions. Um, is maybe a recognition that just having all these multiple different point solutions creates a significant amount of, of challenge, whereas having a kind of single platform solution does remove one of those those burdens that we consistently see. I agree. I mean, in that, in that, they both have you know uh, different challenges. Certainly, I think the holy grail for the, the the single point solutions will be how they integrate in, let's say, a single sign on with other parts of the, the study technology. I mean, I'm not suggesting one is better than the other, but there's, there's definitely pluses and minuses. If the Holy Grail is a single sign-on that one technology can speak to the next and the next and the next, and the data can be collected in one or multiple large data pools, that's wonderful. So, I mean, I hear what you're saying. This, I think, really important point around, you know, seeing the huge increase in, in questionnaires within a study that uses mm-hmm. And I think I can certainly echo that as well. Oncology particularly, but other therapeutic areas you know, this sense of maybe just throwing questionnaires at patients in the hope that something sticks. And I think that's really a source of burden for, for patients, but also sites who may be the ones who have to sit there and help administer the questionnaires. And um, a source of burden that, that really, I don't think helps anyone, to be honest. And it is actually an area where I, I think there's some really exciting stuff we can do with technology around being much more targeted in the kinds of things we're administering to patients, the kinds of questions we're asking them, maybe even pairing that with some kind of wearable or sensor device. And um, so removing this, you know, tens, if not hundreds of pages of questionnaires that a patient is doing, um, and instead getting a much more fine-grained, uh, higher resolution insight into the patient experience, maybe they have to complete these questions more regularly, maybe even daily. But if they're only doing five or 10 of them, as opposed to having to do a whole host of yeah. questions, every few weeks. I think there's some really interesting stuff that we'll start to see emerging within the industry over the next few years around shifting away from those kind of traditional big chunk of questionnaires to much more kind of fine-grained insightful. I I totally agree with that. I think there is, and again, we can have a whole separate conversation around, seriously around around this, this idea that a much more rifle view of questionnaires would reduce the number of questionnaires we filled out and the, the frequency. And when you talk about certain TAs, especially oncology, when do we execute those those questionnaires? Mm-hmm. Is it just before the patient has had chemo or is it just after? Is the patient at home, they're so exhausted that the last thing they want to do is create a questionnaire. And if there's multiple questionnaires in that 
then what does that mean? What does that mean to the data? I mean, so so you're absolutely right. I totally agree with you. But this is that's that's a real that's a real. And I'm hoping that I get someone on the podcast, uh, maybe a few people. We talk about study design. Yeah, you know, from the sponsor side, we talk about study design of what are the drivers and what can be done. Um, we had a, a very uh, pushing pushing my podcast, but we had a, an interesting podcast recently where we talked about question banks and how you can pull questions from question banks and, and build your own validated instrument. And it meant that you had lesser, more rifled questions rather mm. than these these large legacy general well-being. And, and that was a fascinating conversation. And uh, I would advise anyone to, to, to have a look at that. But that's definitely, that's definitely the whole idea of study design. I'm with you, totally with you. I want to ask you one of because again, I'm circling back with you now. So I want to ask you a thing. We, you, you, you touched it very briefly. Uh, we were talking mixed modalities. We were talking about like, and you, you mentioned WAP. And I've always been a huge advocate of WAP. And, and let, let's, let's unpack that slightly because some people might not know the idea of WAP. And what is, what is the WAP? And what is it? Can you talk to that? Yeah, also, I think referred to as HTML5. This is kind of, uh, I've, I actually heard you describe it as kind of bringing together the, the best of web with the best of app, which I think is a good description. It's an shell that kind of runs browser code within it. And so you get all of the flexibility that you see with any web page that you interact with on your computer, which, you know, is, is all about responsive design, making sure things fit neatly on the screen, that basically it's good user experience. So bringing all of that power, but then kind of liberating it to a certain extent from the browser and, and having it in a more app-based um, yeah. environment. So, you know, as I said, referenced earlier, we, we have been using native apps within this space for a very long time now. That's that's kind of the default. We're starting to see the rise of web-based, browser-based data capture. And we, we definitely haven't really seen much HTML5-driven um, technology. And I think there's... I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think there's just the conservative nature of the industry where we're slow to embrace new technologies. I think there's, there's always concerns about things like offline data capture, consistently get that question from sponsors. I think there's you know still questions around kind of the performance from a computer performance perspective. But yeah, it's it's an area full transparency that that I haven't dug into in a huge amount just, just because we've been so focused on app and web. I've been a fan of this for many, many years. In fact, I spoke to you years ago about this. I'm talking about years ago, mm. maybe 2012, 2014 years ago, and the technology wasn't there. Yeah, we do, like today we have incredibly robust Wi-Fi across you know Western Europe and North America. Incredibly robust, incredibly fast. We have IoT now. We have you know five G cell cell data. The technology wasn't there in the translation world, and I'm sure you're the exact same in the UCA. In fact, I know you are. Um, I get a daily pushback from sponsors going, I want it done yesterday. Can you do it yesterday? There's a constant pressure on doing it faster. Forget about cheaper. Just do it faster. The FPI dates are becoming tighter and tighter. I do think that that a WAP-based app wrapper, I call it an app wrapper because it looks like an app, it smells like an app, and it walks like an app, but it's not. And I do think that that's going to be the future because we can build them faster. Based on the study design, we can build them much faster. The translation piece is always going to check. Look, it's always going to take time. It's very yeah. heavy lifting. It's incredibly complex. And there's only, I would argue that because it's so specialized, one, one has to tread carefully. One can't expedite it to the point where you're compromising the quality. But yeah. the build in your world, in the build world, and your screen testing and all the rest, that is a bottleneck. And if we can get past that bottleneck, with something like HTML5, if we can get past that bottleneck, I do think that there is 
there's, there's an argument to be made that we should be deploying that. But again, it goes back to the very first thing you said, mixed modalities. Yeah. But is it possible to have an app wrapper, a, a native app, a web-based BYOD and provisioned device? Is it possible to have all those modalities to capture the, the data from the patient and not introduce any kind of bias into the data? And I think that that's a conversation that is worthwhile having. Yeah, you bring up a host of really interesting points. I do, at the risk of tangenting slightly, I do, you know, we consistently hear and receive pressure around timelines and, and cost. And completely understandably, at the same time, at the risk of oversimplifying things, this is your pivotal trial. The success of your new compound rests on this study. I think this really single-minded push towards shortening timelines is just setting oneself up for the risk of failure down the road. And again, we should be doing everything we can to shorten timelines, but sure. I just have my own frustrations around that sometimes single-minded focus on, on the timelines and, and budget piece when within the full life cycle of a compound, we're Absolutely. just sliver up. Absolutely. Uh, no, no, that, that, that's, a very, that's a very fair pushback. It's a very fair pushback because there are different personalities involved. And there are different personalities in the certain teams that want FPI and these things. So what, what the strategy that we, we employ is that we, we stagger. We stagger the countries. So we say, where's your FPI? Where's your first FPI? And they will give us a list of countries. So we prioritize those. And, and that kind of dovetails into what I'm saying. If, if those countries are a good candidate for a WAP-based wrapper, then we can deploy them faster and then we can work on the native app on the countries where we do need the native app. You know, do you, does that make any sense at all? A more holistic view, it's, it's yeah. an overall view of the study, but I think everything has a place. I, th I think everything has a place. And this all or nothing, this all or nothing DCT thing is, it's, it, it's, not, a, it's not a great idea in many ways. It's not, it's not, I think, healthy for the innovation that we need within the industry. And I think to, to get back to your original question around kind of mixing these modes together, and I think it neatly circles back to, to one of the first terms we brought up around flexibility. I think that's absolutely the future of where we're going within clinical research. And that sits uneasily within what is ultimately an experiment. We're trying to run an experiment. And to successfully run an experiment, you need to try and minimize the variability and the variables yeah. that are impacting the outcomes. So completely recognize that flexibility can be a scary term within that context. But I think considering the sheer complexity of these studies, global trials, different patient populations, different realities on the ground in regards to technology access, different needs for patients across your study. I think allowing patients more choice, as well as giving the study teams more choice around the technology being used, is only going to have positive outcomes. And as I referenced, you know, we have a huge amount of evidence now showing that patients do answer consistently across different modes, whether it's paper, web, uh, I suspect these HTML5 uh, solutions as well. And so I think that's going away as a concern. And that's really, I hope, freeing us up to decide what is the best solution for a given study. And then even within that study, what's the best solution, the best solution for a given country or even the best solution for an individual patient? You preempted my last question because I was going to, I was going to ask you about like the barriers and that is absolutely right. I mean, the barriers were the, 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 this lack of urgency to pick up these technology strategies. I mean, so, so I get it. I totally get it. One last thing I was hoping that you might maybe a hat tip toward, I don't know, but the regulators. Mm. The regulators, I think, you know, and I think you would agree with me, have been fantastic in the pandemic. 
yeah. because they allowed us to expedite certain. So I, I want I just just curious your point of view on that too. Hundred percent. No, I think I think they should be. You know, regulators move slowly, and that's by nature. I think their job is to be the break, and we yeah. push against that. I think they should be commended for how quickly they responded, but also how pragmatic their response was. You know, my maybe unfair kind of summation of what they said was do what you need to do to ensure patient safety, obviously, first of all, but then ensure the integrity of the trial. Um, and that really opened the door for us to roll out many of these technologies that we've had for a long time, but now we are rolling them out in a single trial, for example, and really provided us the evidence that these do work as, as solutions. So absolutely, they should be commended for that. I think at the moment, as an industry, we're in a bit of a kind of taking stock from those last few years. Um, learning some of the lessons that we learned there. Um, but I, I, I don't anticipate us going backwards. I think the regulators recognize the importance of technology in the clinical trials as a way of enabling patients to have a better experience, as a way of getting better insight into that patient experience. Um, and they, you know, they're asking people to come and, and talk to them about these things. They recognize they're not the experts in this. And so they want the experts to come and have those conversations. So I do think, you know, as much as we might moan about the, the regulators holding us back, I, I do think actually they should be commended in, in this area. Here, here, I agree with everything you're saying. I'm going to ask you my last question, which I ask all my guests. I'm going to ask my last question. If you had a magic wand, what would you do to change, or not just to change, but what would you do to expedite the adoption of DCT today? I think I would loop back to kind of the, the where we started with there's, you know, DCT maybe being a, a misunderstood phrase. And so I think I, I might use my magic wand to, to strike the term DCT from the lexicon and just go oh. back about clinical trials. And so we would talk about clinical trials and what appropriate solution and use of technology within that clinical trial. And so we would no longer worry about clinical trials and then this mythical thing called DCTs. We'd just be talking about clinical trials and what's the correct way to use technology within for that specific study. And so I think we will end up there, but I would use this magic wand maybe okay. to accelerate that. Well, we'll see what we'll see what happens. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Today I was talking to Paul Adona, who is Senior Director of Product for ECUA and Scientific Support at Medidata. I'm Mark Way, Transperfect. Please join us for our next episode of Transperfect Lifestyle Talks. Many thanks, Mark. Thank you.